because I know most of you are tired, I'll ask that we all read it together. Psalm 23. Are you all in Psalm 23 now? I, I don't want you to recite it. I want you to read it with me. So most of you are using the ESV, which is fine. I use the NES. So uh, Psalm 23, let's read it together. One, two, go. Lord's my shepherd, the psalm I want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Fear no evil, for you are with me. Lord and your staff, they comfort me. Prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our good shepherd who gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask. We ask that you give us this evening your Holy Spirit to help in our time together. We ask that you would drive away all dullness, all ignorance, all stubbornness, all the unbelief and all the coldness from our lives and help us to receive your word with eagerness and faith. Pray that our reasoning, our will, and our affections will all be affected positively by our time together this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we started in the morning. Um, I, I don't know how many of you can remember what we spoke about in the morning, but we, we would um, start from where we stopped, and that's verse 3, uh, but let me just run you through what we talked about in the morning. What, so This is not a Bible study, so you really can't ask many questions, but let me just run you through what we've talked about so far. Um, we've looked at the first verse. And we noted that the psalmist, in this case is David, the title reads the Psalm of David. We've noted that David is basing his entire psalm on who the Lord is. And, you know, we, we made that example with pet owners. I don't know if you own pets here, dogs or cats or anything like that. Okay, just just one person. Anyway. Um, and so we said that when you, that, that usually you could tell the character of the shepherd by just looking at the sheep and how well kept or how failed the sheep looks like. And we said that that is really how it is with us and with our shepherd. That our shepherd, our shepherd is a kind God that is detailed in his taking care of us. And we can see that in how David expresses or really explains what he means in verse 1 from verse 2 to 6, because that's really the explanation. He makes this statement. It's a clear, precise Statements. It is not a positive confession. We noted that in how the text is structured. That the word shall is really just declaring what is. And so we said that David says that the Lord is my shepherd and that is the reason I do not have any wants. And that this is what every Christian should be able to say. Christians, well, if you're a Christian, you should be able to, like David, be bold in saying that I do not have an unfulfilled need because I have a shepherd who is the Lord. Any other thing apart from this 
verse 1, it's you either working in unbelief or grumbling or complaining, or you've assumed that the Christian life is about God meeting what you think you want instead of what he knows that is your need. And so that's really how we, we explained verse 1. We came to verse 2, and we noted that verse 2 starts with the word he, and the he is referring to the shepherd himself. And the way that the text is structured, I, I know I'm, I'm saying things like the way the text is structured, but you do know that the Holy Spirit didn't just inspire the idea. He didn't just give David the idea. He, he inspired the words themselves and the structure of the text. And so it's deliberate that the shepherd is the one that does these things by himself, especially when it comes to him taking care of your food and your water and your restoration and guiding you. It is what he does. He undertakes these things because that is what the sheep needs. And it is the example that you find with pet owners. The, the, the pet is not the one... Well, sometimes you can forget, and then that just shows you, you to be human. You know, they don't, they don't, they're not the ones that come to talk to you that they want food, or, or tell you that, okay, so I need to go and trim my, my, my hair, or, or I need to be washed. You know these things because you are a good pet owner. Now, of course, we are not pets in that sense, we are sheep, and he is the shepherd. And so David tries to expand verse 1 so that you can understand what he means by I have no need, or I, I do not currently have any unfulfilled need. Currently, past, in the future, we do not. And so the first thing he talks about is Yahweh himself making you lie down in green pastures. And I said that the green pastures is not just, you know, green because of... It, there's a reason it says it as green pastures because there's a sense that green pastures give even humans themselves. And so what Yahweh does, what a good shepherd himself does, and we noted in the morning that the good shepherd is Jesus Christ himself, is that he makes his sheep lie down in green pastures. We also noted that, and by the way, as much as this is how God takes care of us spiritually, it's also how God takes care of us physically. There's nothing in the text that compels us to only interpret this in a spiritual sense. Turn with me for a minute. I know I'm doing a recap, but turn with me for a minute to Psalm 37. Because, you know, it's easy for most of us to just say, well, you know, these things are spiritual, so I don't, you know, I, I can continue to worry about my physical needs. But look at what the psalmist says in 37:25. Actually, most of you know this text, but you forget it. Verse 25. I have been young, and now I am old, Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendant begging bread. So, so that you don't think it's a level that Christians have to get to. He says, I've been young. It's when I was a boy. Now I'm older. I'm an old man. And yet in all of, my, all of the time I've spent in this earth, I have not seeing the righteous forsaking or their, or their descendants begging bread. Why? Because Yahweh is their shepherd. He says this also in 34, you can turn to it. Verse 10, he says it differently. He says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing almost repeating what he said in Psalm 23. And we said in the morning that you have to understand that whatever you have now, 
is what you need. It is the reason you have it. Either be it surplus, either be it sickness, either be it disease, whatever you have now is the need of your soul. And that's why you have it. The shepherd takes care of his sheep with all his wisdom. And then he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. I actually like, I actually like what the psalmist is doing here when he says quiet waters. The thing about quiet waters, like even for the sheep here in Nigeria, I don't know if you've ever seen them on the road before, all those little ones. And then you start to hung, and then they're they just going everywhere. They, they, they cannot just move to one side. They're going everywhere. Do you know why? Because loud noises makes them disoriented. And so even the good shepherd knows you so much that when he's about to feed your soul with water, he doesn't take you to a noisy river. He takes you to a quiet one. And of course, the thing about quiet waters is that it's, it's, it's a spring-like kind of water, so it's not a deep river. Do you know why? Because sheep can't swim. When they fall inside the water, that's it. They are gone, and they are going to die. So you, 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 can see the, you can see the way the shepherd cares for his sheep. He's so, there's so much detail. He's, he knows what he's doing. He knows your frame. He knows everything that you need. And he takes so much care in providing for you what you need. And of course, as much as we know that God gives us physical water, we also know that he also provides for us spiritual drink. And it's what Jesus was talking about in John 7, I don't know how many of you can remember the event in John 7. I think it was the Feast of Boots where um, Jesus Christ lifted his voice and then said, whoever thirsts, you know, let's turn to it, John 7, for a minute. John 7, where he said, whoever thirsts, let me come to me. Yes, verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then John added his own comment in verse 39, saying that this is what the Holy Spirit is about. So you can see how God takes care of every kind of your need. It's not... God is not, you know, we, we, we've built this image of God that takes care of our spiritual need because that's really what he cares about. He doesn't care if you are sick and then you starve to death and then just die off. He really doesn't care. You know, as long as you are spiritually healthy, it's fine. Well, that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The picture that the Bible paints is a picture that we're reading here in Psalm 23. So, Four things, in summary, that we learned this morning is one, I don't know how many of you are writing this morning, but four things that we learned this morning is number one, the shepherd is the one or is the Lord who exists in and with the existence of Father, Son, and Spirit. So it makes this psalm this very personal psalm. There is no other religion or people in the earth that serve a triune God. We are the only ones that serve a triune God. And the shepherd that takes care of his sheep, the way it is described here, is the triune God. So this is not an application to everybody on earth. This is how God takes care of us, specially as the sheep of his sheepfold. 
Second thing we noted this morning is that the psalmist is basing his assertion of not having any wants on the character and credentials of Yahweh. And what the psalmist is saying in essence is that if Yahweh is who he is, according to what we read in the Bible, then the sheep really cannot have any wants. If it's the same Yahweh that we read about in the Bible, then truly, if it's the one that created heaven and earth, if to him belongs riches and honor and glory and majesty and power, then a sheep cannot have a want. You need to let that sink in. You do not have any unfulfilled need in your life. Then the third thing we learned is that if you are struggling with what the psalmist is talking or is teaching us, it's either because of your unbelief or because you've come to think that the Christian life is about God accomplishing what you think is best for you and not God accomplishing what he knows is best for you. And of course, the Bible tells us that our thoughts and God's thoughts there as far as east to west. By the way, the east and west there is not east Nigeria to west Nigeria. You see, as far as the east of the world is to the west of the world. That's which country? Since the farthest. Isn't that over how many days journey? Yeah. Even if you're flying. Of course, it's wider than that, but if you can imagine that width, that is how far it is away from how God thinks. And then lastly, whatever providence that I have in my life today is exactly what I need. See, if you have to write that down and post it on your door or in your room or just somewhere you can read it every day, you, you, you better do that. Whatever providence you have in your life today is exactly what you need. All right, so let's pick it up in verse 3. That's me doing a recap. But 3 to 6 is easy because I've already established verse 1. The entire strength of this psalm is on Yahweh himself and the relationship that we have with him. And the relationship we have with him is the relationship of sheep and shepherd. And how do we become Yahweh's sheep? We have to come to believe that Jesus Christ died for us. Because we are naturally what? The devil's sheep. We are part of the devil's sheepfold. But it is those that have come to believe in him that he gives rights to become children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. The entire world is created by God. The entire world is God's creation. Yes, technically, uh, well, speaking. But in the technicality of being a child of God, John 1 says that it is to those that have come Open it. Open to it yourself. John 1. You guys are not opening to it. John 1. Okay, you guys are clicking to it. Verse 12. But as many as received him, it is to them that he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. And that's not everybody, right? That's not everybody. So if you've come to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, then you are a child of God and you are part of Yahweh's sheepfold. And then this psalm is your psalm. So let's go to verse 3 and we'll just really run through it so that we'll cover everything. And then I trust that in your meditation and through prayers, you know, you are able to um, glean more, more than what I've said. Is that okay? All right, verse 3. He restores my soul. The word restored there is the, is the word renewing a falling, renewing something that has fallen. You know, how you restore something to its place. So, it's that sense that he's talking about. And 
David, of everybody, knows this very well. Because in Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with isop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And this was David's psalm after he broke, I think, every, every, every commandment that exists in Ten Commandments. And so, this, this tells us that even as Yahweh's sheep, we still sin. And even when you do that, there's nowhere else to go. It is still Yahweh himself. And, and, I, and I want you to get that picture. It is Yahweh. He, he does this by himself that restores our soul. Who restored David? David? No. Oh. In fact, David thought he had covered his sin well. But God wanted to restore him. So what did God do? He sent Nathan to him. So that you can get the picture, it is God that does this. So when you sit under God's word, and then God speaks to you through his word, or he convicts you by his Holy Spirit, what do you think he's doing? He is the one doing the restoration of your soul. And of course, the thing I like most about he restores my soul is because I actually have a cat. And I've seen her many times clean herself, herself you know, because cats can do that. But you see sheep? No, they can't. I told you this morning that the sheep will grow so much wool, well, it's not really wool until you process it, so much fleece that it gets so big, they roll over from the weight of the fleece and then they can't stand up again. And then they need the shepherd to come and help put them back on their feet. That's how helpless that we are. And that is what Yahweh himself does. He's the one that restores our soul. If he doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. In fact, how did the ultimate restoration come to be? Did you go to heaven to bring Jesus down? Isn't that what Paul was talking about? Did we? Did you go uh, uh, into, uh, under the earth to, to bring him up from the dead? No. He sent his son to die for our sins. He rose his son from the dead for our sake. He restores our soul. Okay, let's move on. The next one says, He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Are you following the structure of the text? It starts with what Yahweh does, and he says it in a way that it is something he does by himself without no cooperation from you. You get to the point in this psalm where there's a cooperation. But when it comes to your food and, um, and water for your soul and restoration and walking in righteousness, it is what Yahweh does by himself. He undertakes this by himself in your life. So the first that he does, you know, I told you verse, verse 2 and 3, if you look at it, can be divided into four different activities that Yahweh undertakes because of four needs that, he, that, that the sheep needs. So the first is guidance, and it says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness. Now, there's a parallel to this in John 10, and if you can just, or, or you may not, let me just read it to you. Verse 4 says, he puts forth all his own, 
He's talking about his sheep, and that's Jesus. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Jesus is really borrowing from this text to describe to you what he means by guiding you in the paths of righteousness. So what, what he's talking about here is that when the shepherd comes to lead his sheep out through paths, it is the path that he has laid already that they follow in. Especially because this is a very, this, this particular portion is talking about our spiritual health. So, this is not the shepherd saying, okay, uh, you know how you do to, to, to your chickens. When you, when you, in the morning, when you wake up, you do what? You open them so that they can go and find food. No, that's not what's happening here. He, the shepherd, clears a path of righteousness for them so that he can lead them in that path of righteousness. And of course, this is exactly the picture of what Christ does for us. Because he came to this world so that he can live in a way that we can follow him. So the paths of righteousness is not left for you to imagine and say, okay, you know, I, I, I can figure out this righteousness work by myself. No, strictly speaking, there's a path in front of you and you just have to follow it. In fact, it was in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, that Peter described what Jesus Christ did. Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In fact, the word example is better... It's better to say that as trace. And you understand that if you have children and you've bought them a trace book or, you know, a trace drawing where there's already a pattern for them to just trace out and then on the other side it comes out well. That is really what it's like to walk in righteousness. You just need to follow after the pattern of Jesus Christ. You just need to trace out the life of Jesus Christ and live your life that way. So, Christ, through his Holy Spirit, guides us in the paths of righteousness. And you would see that, that additional uh, uh, was word, that phrase there, for his name's sake. It is not because of you. There isn't really anything special about you. It is because of him and his namesake that he guides you in the paths of righteousness. So you can even, under, you can through this alone understand what it means to walk the Christian life. There's no self-sufficiency here. So even when God puts a path in front of us, and he has, right? What does he now do? He is the one that guides you on that path. Do you know why? Because if he leaves you alone, you're going to wander off. This is why we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us in the path of righteousness. This is why it is called walking by the Spirit. As opposed to what? Walking by your flesh. Because God expects you to rely on his guidance, even in the matters of righteousness. Okay, let's get to verse 4. Wow. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, Three things, because now I'm trying to rush. Three things you should notice about this verse. First of, it says, even though, so you see that it changes now. It's no longer he, right? It doesn't start with he. It starts it almost the way it starts verse one. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. So it's the same way he phrased verse 1 when he says that because the Lord is my shepherd, I do not have a want. Now, 
The thing about walking through the valley of the shadow of death is, first off, as Charles Spurgeon says it, he says it is a valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. He says, and that's because death in itself, in its substance, has been defeated. So you see why the sheep has no fear. He's not walking into death. It's a shadow of death. It is gloom, sickness, and all those other things. But death in itself does not have any victory. And then he says, even though I walk... Now, the picture here, and you have to listen to me, The picture here is a shepherd leading his sheep to, to, from one green pasture to another. So, in, in, in when uh, David was writing this, there were a lot of shepherds and there were a lot of green pastures in a lot of places. And it was a hilly place. So, when the shepherd moves them from one green pasture and he's moving them to another green pasture... Sometimes they pass through valleys that, you know, just that has hills all around. And so, therefore, it is dark and it's scary. It is not the shepherd saying, my plan for you today is to lead you into the valley of the shadow of death. Are you guys in the picture? No. What he's doing is he's leading them from one green pasture to another, but they pass sometimes through valleys of the shadow of death. Because one of the ideas we have of God is that he just takes you by the hand and he just leads you into harm. No, that's not what's happening. Actually, what, what is leading you to is another green pasture for your soul. But, but life is filled with all kinds of paths. Some are smooth on some days and some just filled with, it's a valley that has hills all around and then it casts a shadow upon you and then you feel that you are in so much danger. But there's no need to fear. Do you know why? He says, because you are with me. Now, another thing I want you to note is that tiny little word called through. I don't know if it's the same in your text. Verse 4, even though I walk through. Is it through that's in your text as well? No. It is, it is not the word into. Let, let me tell you the difference. When you come with your child, or, or you know, when you're coming to church, you come into the church, right? Because that is where your destination. But if, I, I don't know Abuja very well, but I, I, I suppose that um, when, we, when I'm going home now, we, we pass through Apple Bridge, something like that, I, I suppose. They, they said it to me one time. Do you know what I would say? I'm passing, you see, I just said it now, I pass through it because that's not my destination. So there's a way we look at gloom and sickness and all of those things that look like the shadow of death. And we think that when, this, when the shepherd woke up that morning and he was doing his to-do list, he said, A, take them to green pasture. B, take them to valley of shadow of death. Because that's how we feel when we are just passing through these things. We begin to feel like God is no longer with us. But do you know what Paul calls this? Paul says that they are momentary light afflictions. Do you know why he called it momentary light afflictions? Because you are passing through it. It's always a through. And so, the psalmist says that even on the days 
when the shepherd is, is leading us to a destination and then we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I would have no fear. Why? Because he's right there. He's the one leading you. Remember what he said in, in, in verse 3. He guides you in the paths of righteousness. He's the one that is in front leading you out. So, this, this actually reminds me of when I was growing up. And there was this particular day where my dad said, oh, that it, it was night and he wanted us to go and get something. And so, we're passing through this dark, you know, dark path. And there was just bush here and then there were, you know, it was just really dark. And I wanted to run. And he was like, why are you running? And I, and I thought... <laughs> Can't you see where we are? I said, but, and he said, it, but I said, I'm with you. It didn't make sense to me then. But I'm sure it's the same thing you say to your word. Because you know the past very well. And if anything comes, you can defend him. So you can understand how we've worked in so much unbelief and so much unnecessary fear in our lives. He's right there. He's the one that led you out and is leading you to somewhere through this valley of the shadow of death. Now, I just want you to know that the only thing that comforts, or sorry, that comforts the sheep is not just the presence of the shepherd. The rod and his staff as well comforts him. So in verse 4, there are two comforts. The reason, the reason the sheep has no fear is because of two things. The shepherd is there with him and what? The rod and the staff. I don't know if you've seen that, seen it that way before. Now, the rod actually was the shepherd's old rods, and I'm sure that most of you do the same. But the rod is so that they can beat the wolf when they come. But the thing about walking through valley of shadow of death is for some unnecessary reason, the sheep will start to panic and then start to run just everywhere. And so the shepherd will try to guide them because he's right there with them. So he guides them with the rod and the staff that he's holding. Are you, are you, are you getting a new meaning to the things that's happening in your life? In, I mean, if, if in case you're walking through the valley of shadow of death. So the shepherd is always with the sheep. He leads them and makes them lie down in green pastures. He leads them beside quiet waters. He restores their soul. He guides them on the path of righteousness. He leads them out. And sometimes, and I, and I keep saying the word sometimes, you know, it's on purpose. Because it's, not, it's never all gloom and doom. It's just sometimes. It's momentary. It's light. It's for a season. That's how Peter calls in the first Peter. It's for a season. And when he does that, he's right there with us. We have no reason to be afraid. And then he uses his rod and his staff to comfort us. You need to underline that word. Even God's rod and staff is a comfort for the sheep. It's a comfort. Do you know why it's a comfort? Because as they are running everywhere, if it does not comfort them with that rod and staff, they're either going to fall off the cliff or run into the wolf's hand. Which is worse, for him to comfort them back with his rod or to leave them to fall over. Hmm? All right, the last verse. Oh, not the last verse, last five. You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. Are you guys still awake? He prepare, sorry, you prepare. So it changes again. Now it's he, or it starts with the shepherd again. But it changes the imagery. It's no longer the imagery of sheep and shepherd. It's not the image of like a host and a guest. So it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, if you look at this at first, at first glance, this, this imagery is very baffling because there's a table and then my enemies are there. It's, 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 very, it's, it's very baffling because the word table there, by the way, is the word feast. So the king prepares a feast your enemies are just right there. And so the imagery is sort of baffling until, until you try, just, just take a second look at it, and then you see what's happening here. First of the fact that there are enemies there shows you that there is a war going on, at least, or there's a battle going on. And that is really the context of the Christian life, right? We're in the midst of battle. We are battling against Satan and the world and even our, against our own flesh as well. But you see, in the midst of this battle, and I, 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 see, the essence of this psalm is so that you can understand what God is doing with the Christian in this life. In the midst of this battle, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm battling the, I'm battling Satan, I'm battling the flesh, I'm battling, you know, the world. Do you know how you're battling it? With a table set before you. It is the best imagery in this chapter. Because no, no king has ever gone out to fight a war and prepared a table inside the camp that they were fighting the war. It's usually after they get back home, right, that they do all the victory parade. But the psalmist says, right there where our enemies are, he prepares a table for us. He's, he's calling you to come and, and the thing about, about battles is that when you are eating, you are eating in a hurry, right? And it's always small portions. You guys have seen all those movies, right? Small portions, standing to eat, you know, because it's a battle, it's not like you, it's not in your house. But the picture that the psalmist is giving us is that that's not really how God prepares a table or cares for you in this world. He cares for you in such a way that it is a feast. You are supposed to sit down and eat the food that he's preparing for you. And he come, and the thing about your enemies looking on, if you look at it very well, is because the king is the one that compels them to be there. Because he has won the victory. He has won the ultimate victory. He compels them to sit down and watch as he feeds you. So in essence, what the psalmist is saying is that even when the foes are around, that is, even when your enemies are around, there's always a table. And you know the best picture of this now in the church? It's a lot supper. The world. I mean, we are eating the Lord's Supper. Where in the midst of the world, watching. There's battle on the right. In fact, there were there were battles before you came to church that day, right? But the moment you come into church and you come into His presence, what He gives you is a table, so that you can rest and eat. It's also the picture of how God takes care of you with all of the revelation and promises that he has for you. And then it, he adds that he anoints your head with oil. And the reason he does this is because, I don't know if you guys have seen the picture of war before. You know, there are bruises all over their skins, right? Um, they, they have patches all over. And so oil just, and 
the way he says it, when, when someone pours oil over your head, it's because it's, it's, it's an abundance. Because all they're supposed to do is just to apply it. I mean, it's a war now. No, nobody packs their house to a war. But are you seeing the picture? I said, no, 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 no. In this battle that you are claiming that, oh, we have this, you know, what the Christian life is a battle. Yes, it is, but it is in the midst of abundance. Because even your cup overflows. It's a picture of how God provides. God does not do, just take this little and go. In fact, it's, it was in Ephesians, and I think it's a text in Ephesians, we can turn there. Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we we ask or think, it's always far more abundantly. All right, let me close. Verse 6, surely goodness and loving kindness, or your text will have mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. Now, notice the word follow. This goodness and mercy is not something we pursue. It follows us. It's, it's, it's an image of it chasing after you instead. So when it comes to God's goodness in your life, and when it comes to God's loving kindness over you, the picture the Bible gives us, it is it following you. And then it says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the psalmist actually ends on a sober note. And I know that we, say, we recite the last verse a lot. But what he's saying here is this. God's goodness and loving kindness will follow you all the days of your life here and then one day you will die and even then you will still be in the house of the Lord forever. So you can get how the psalmist is describing the Christian life. He knows uh, eventually we will all die. So this text is not talking about some, you know, never dying. No, he's actually saying that we will have to because death in itself is just ushering us into the presence of our God forever. And isn't that what you've always wanted? Isn't that what you want right now <laughs> to be in God's presence forever and ever? So, this psalm teaches many great truths. Um, it teaches us that there's no threat that comes to the sheep of God's to the, to the sheep of God's sheepfold that can do any ultimate harm to the sheep. We've just always lived in unbelief. We've just not come to the point of trusting our shepherd. So the next time you come to Psalm 23, I hope that you read it with a new light. I hope you come to it knowing that these blessings are, are for sure in the life of a Christian. It is, this is God's promise. This is not, this is God's promise. This is it. This is how he takes care of his sheep. 
This is what they enjoy. And I hope that, you know, as we leave, you are able to confidently say that the Lord is my shepherd. So there is no want in my life. There is no want in your life. You do not lack anything that you need. I like spiritual blessings. I like physically taking care of you. The shepherd does that. The good shepherd takes care of his sheep. He takes care of them so much that he laid down his life for them. So, in summary, the psalm gives us a perfect picture of the Christian life. And you can see all that the Christian life entails. It starts from the green pasture to quiet waters, to restoring your soul, to paths of righteousness, and then to where next? The value of the shadow of death. And then from there, table set before you, oil on your head, overflow on your cup. All the days of your life here on earth, either it's 30 or it's 35 or it's 60 or it's 70, whatever it is, Goodness and mercy follows us until the day we die and we're ushered into the presence of God. This is what the psalm teaches. And I hope that we will come and be able to say with the hymn writer that I will trust in you alone. All of our fears and our worries are unnecessary. You do not inform God about any need in your life. He knows them and he cares for you. I just hope that you can come to rest upon him completely. Father, this is our prayer. That we will be able to come to rest upon you completely so much worry in our lives so much worry cripples us some of us are so crippled with fears of about tomorrow worries about our lives we've taken our eyes completely off you we focus them on the on the on the hills that cast the shadow of death we've forgotten completely that it is the shepherd that is leading us some of us, our eyes are so focused on the enemy, we forget that it is in the midst of a table and a feast prepared before us by our Father. Help our humbly for God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.